When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. What up, listener? We wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this Blue Wire podcast. Be sure to show your support to this pod by subscribing and dropping a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify, or the appropriate DAP for any other platform you might be listening on. And if you're enjoying this show, chances are you'll like one of our 75 other sports podcasts. Find more shows you'll love at BlueWirePods.com. Thanks again for listening, and now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 176, and this opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Hi, I'm Dan Hilton. He is Frances Tomas, and unfortunately today we have to start this podcast on a somber note. It is the day after, and I was thinking about how relevant speaking about and focusing so much on, especially at the start of the show, about Kobe Bryant on this podcast was, and ultimately he was more than just a FC Barcelona fan. He also liked AC Milan. He was more than a Ronaldinho fan, a Messi fan. He was a great, one of the greatest sportsmen of all time. He was a one-name guy. You know exactly who we're talking about. He had such an important impact on all professional athletes. You can just see in the news, in the hours afterwards, he didn't touch basketball, which obviously Frances and I both really enjoy, but he touched all sports across all boundaries, and it, it seems to be even more sports. It was music, obviously the Grammys at the Staples Center last night, all those things, particularly though those of FC Barcelona players and all Lakers fans, like my friend and my co-host Frances. So truly a tragic loss of life, including his daughter and the others on the helicopter, and I, I think it is fitting. This is where we begin today's show, Frances. 
Hola, Gules. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we, we have to be talking about something that should have never happened. Accidents do happen. I mean, life and death go hand in hand, don't they? But it's just, I'm still getting to terms with it. I mean, in Qatar, uh, I didn't realize until I woke up in the morning. And apparently that happened around 11 to 12 hours before that. Um, I'm flabbergasted. I'm shocked. I don't have words to explain how I'm feeling. Um, I have been crying on and off all day, really. Um, I, for some reason, during work, I switched off and I didn't think about it once. But as soon as I came out, I turned my phone on back on and sort of connected back with the world beyond, beyond my day-to-day -day job. And by that time, there were plenty of uh, much more intelligent people than me, people that fortunately for them knew Kobe better and much more closely than obviously I do. I've never met the guy. I've never even been to LA. But the thing is, the way that in which he shaped who I am today, he would never know. And I'm not the only one. I mean, there's a huge Filipino community here in Qatar as well. And uh, a lot of basketball following. And, and you can sense, you can see people sort of, we're far, far more down in the dumps today than any other day that I remember. I think that obviously, if you try to analyze who he was and what he meant, for millions, millions of people around the world, is just, is just a person who is larger than life. And as he said himself, uh, heroes come and go, but legends last forever. And he's a legend. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned you're talking about just how you and Qatar are, are seeing those things a, a world away, because that's what he was. And I think the reason why we're talking about here on the Barcelona podcast today, again, not just with a connection to FC Barcelona, but he was a global superstar could speak multiple languages. He played a huge role in bringing basketball to China. And I, I think he had such an impact on making the idea of sports and individual teams and players in particular, that number eight or 24, the Kobe jersey, being something for people thousands and thousands of miles away to enjoy. Now, the 1992 Dream Team, of course, they broke barriers uh, and made basketball an international game. But I even think as far as broadcasting rights and the sport of football and how that was able to get across Again, different countries where it used to just be you support your hometown team, but it truly, with, with his help, became a global game. Uh, and again, it wasn't just the impact he had on, on basketball, but on all different sports. And obviously, the tragic way is how it happened, as you mentioned. And it's in those moments when you remember why so many of us like sports, I think, as well. It is a distraction. It's entertainment. But it is a fruitful distraction that so often we remember is passed on by our family or, or friends. And that sports is something that we generally share with those around us. And I think for me, I may not have been a fan of Kobe the player, but I sure could respect obviously what he could do on a basketball court. He's one of the greatest ever. And, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was the same thing. There were last night I, I, I was just thinking, and yesterday, I mean, I, I see for me, I, I lost my father about 10 years ago. And in those moments, when you think about the, how fragile life can be, I, Got good memories, though, of watching the Suns and the Lakers, my favorite player being Steve Nash, in the mid-2000s, that being before Kobe got Paul Gasol, and how much I love watching those battles with, with my dad, where Kobe was surely not, you know, he was, his teammates wouldn't have been starters or maybe even bench players on those Suns teams, and yet Kobe by himself was forcing it to, a, to seventh game and doing all those things, and I, you know, as we think about him and his legacy and remember him, I was also thinking sports-wise, what, what is greater than all of that and an umbrella concept would be that Mamba mentality that we keep speaking about, particularly when uh, I think of when he shot those two free throws with a torn Achilles, which is still one of the most absurd things I've seen in all of sports. Just an incredible feat of 
of willpower to go out with a torn Achilles and still be just standing and just and knock some free throws down. And it was just his unfathomable desire to win for better or worse, but for so many times, just pushing the envelope and pushing those around him forward. Uh, and I think most importantly, though, above all else, as you, as you had alluded to, Frances, that these are the moments when I look at my wife and I hug her as tight as I can, because you do think about how life is, it, it's, it's just so simple. It is these icons, these heroes, whether it's Kobe or, or Messi or these people that we, we almost idolize, they are just people at the end of the day. They are just people who were born and died just like you and me, the same thing. So obviously our condolences and there's been millions and millions and millions of people in giving their condolences and, and prayers to the family, to Vanessa and, and all the other children. And of course, uh, his daughter's passing and the other seven people on the helicopter as well. It surely is a shame. And I think that, and I've been happy to see the one silver lining for me. I've been happy to see the way that the entire sports world, again, where from football to soccer, I mean, to, uh, to, to basketball, to baseball, whatever it is, every sport seems to, this has been a galvanizing force in a time where the whole world may be sad, but it seems like this morning together. And I think that's really, uh, it just shows you the impact and the global importance of this sports figure. Of course. And I think that beyond all that as well, which obviously is remarkable, is every person has got their own story. Like I remember growing up, getting up around three in the morning to watch the NBA semifinals, conference finals, and NBA finals in the end. Um, I have still today, I've got VHS tapes all over my garage of um, all the games from the Shaq Kobe era um, <laughs> recorded there. That, you know, I, can, I cannot even put them in a machine because I don't have that VHS player anymore. But that is the impact of someone who transcended all sports and, and, and it happened because it wasn't because of you know his skills shooting fadeaways which obviously was remarkable or um you know making that three-pointer at the buzzer which obviously he did plenty of times it's just that mentality is that ability to connect with people and there's a quote by Kobe right behind me and I'm certainly was looking at that much more attentively today and obviously I was never going to put it down but it's certainly not coming down now I think it's time for us to move off to Barca matters, but, you know, rest in peace. Yep, I agree. So it is a difficult transition, but we're going to try our best with the rest of La Ronda today. We've got a few questions here. So we appreciate, again, everyone st staying with us with this. It was really nice to see as well, the nice sentiments in the closed Facebook group and just in the entire Barcelona community. So this has been really nice to see. So I think we're going to move on here. We're going to shift gears a bit to a question. We're going to start by talking about Ansu Fadi. Uh, and I think it is fitting as well that Ronaldinho, back in the day, that was a story that is circulating now. Ronaldinho had told uh, Kobe that the 17-year-old Messi was something special. And it's not to compare Fati to Messi, but we're going to try our best to be speaking about another one of those players that we hope is a prodigy. With two questions from Abbas and Eric, they asked, have we witnessed the best of Fati already? Uh, Abbas says, which obviously Francis and I are both going to say no, no. Um, but <laughs> but uh, but we'll give the why in a second. And then Eric asked, do you think Fati is best served by continuing to regularly start or would it be better for his future to spend more time watching and learning from the sidelines? And I think this was pretty straightforward, Francis, where Fati, I think, is in a good spot. And I've mentioned just to speak about tactically some of the issues with Valencia. We know that he's better on the left wing, but in that 3-5-2 that Kike Setien is attempting and hopes to play, Jordi Alba's occupying that farthest left midfield spot, and Fadi has been working on the right. But you could even tell 30 minutes into that game as Setien kind of shifted a little bit into a 4-3-3, but really it did still have the shapes of a 3-5-2. Fadi was moved 
switched with Griezmann for a bit of time to try to put him on the left occasionally, but more of a left central spot. And then they also put him in the middle of the field, just where Messi was dropping deep a little bit, which I didn't like to see. But anyway, they, that's where they moved Fati just to try to get him more comfortable on the field. But all that said, Eric, I think we're going to talk about the rest of the squad and or depth and all the things that seem to be going on behind the scenes in terms of what Kike Setien has on his bench. But when you look at the roster and you look at the bench and you look at who's available... Until Dembele comes back, and unless Barcelona go out and buy a player, Fatih is kind of forced to play. So it's not even about, is he best served to regularly start? The team is actually best served to have him starting at the moment because he is the best option at winger in that position that Barca have at the moment. And Nelson Semedo, you can't put at the right midfield spot because he can't dribble at opponents and unlock and use that width where he might be wide, but he's not actually going forward and getting to the, to the goal line. To, I mean, and even though Fati's final ball hasn't been great and his finishing has been off the last three matches, I, I think the, he's still the best option. And so I think that's going to be best for his future just to be that option. And there's no, it, it's going to be difficult for all of us. And I mean, I think we're a little bit better. I mean, and those who listen to this pod are a little bit better than just the random person that heaps, heaps all this pressure on a 17-year-old. But I think if we can just temper our expectations for him and understand that we're watching a 17-year-old learn on the fly, and it does take adversity, it does take some difficulty, and that's going to make him a better pro, I think, in the long run, as long as we just we just, we keep, the, we keep the hype and we keep it controlled. And obviously, we don't destroy the 17-year-old for making 17-year-old mistakes, uh, and that's okay. And I think that's what he's going to be best served to do, is to play the role that he has to, unless Barca bring in somebody else and Dembele can stay healthy, which there's no guarantee that's going to happen. Absolutely no guarantee, and I am counting the seconds for Dembélé to come back and uh, hopefully prove us all wrong, uh, especially the ones that say that he cannot play sustainable football. Um, in terms of Fati, just different perspectives here. I mean, from a selfish, individualistic, just thinking about Fati's career perspective, of course it's better that he plays. Um, it is better that he plays anywhere rather than he's on the bench. Um, practice makes perfect. And that's never been truer than at, at the highest level in professional football. You can train as much as you want, but it's in real matches in which you've got the intensity, you've got the, the, the problem-solving sort of challenges, and, yeah, you're playing against professionals, and that, that's what every player wants to do, um, whether you're 17 or 35. You, know? you can ask um, Ivan Rakitic and Vidal and all of those. I'm sure they'll give you the same answer. In terms of for the team itself, um, I think Kike has uh, a, a, quite a great challenge, really, because obviously he started halfway through the season to do a job that he should have started back in July. So that's going to be difficult in terms of assimilating concepts. And he's just trying things as he goes. You know, normally he would have had one and a half months or two months and obviously all the preseason friendlies to work out what his starting formation, yet alone 11 is. But no, he's, he's doing it on the go because that's what the board decided that he had to. And in terms of Fatih's playing position, he's trying to put in where he thinks he fits. And obviously, he's not going to be taking Jordi Alba out for Ansu to come in at 17 years old. I think that, you know, if you're playing a 3-5-2, then the one further to the right in the five, that could easily be Sergio Roberto. And you can put either Piqué, Lengle, or Umtiti, or all of them in centre-back. But obviously, he's, he's trying something else. And... I think from a whole team perspective, the, the more experienced, sort of ready now players that play, the better. But obviously, as you mentioned, that's not to say that Ansu isn't now considering who would be bench if he started. Yeah, it seems that the Carlos Perez to Roma deal is, is, is official. So you lost wing depth there, where on the back line, 
John Claire Tadebo isn't wasn't some kind of young twenty year old savior, but he was the fourth center back. So now that he's been shipped off to Schalke, you mentioned Frances. You play three at the back with Ntiti, PK, and Langley, and one gets hurt. Who's the other option? Or if you go to want to rotate exactly. the next game, exactly. You're totally yeah. right. I, mean, I think that the fourth option at center back will be Araujo from Barca B, because otherwise the Tadebo deal. I mean, it doesn't make much sense at all, but it would be, make even less sense unless yeah. they're thinking Araujo as a fourth centre-back. Well, yeah, and Chumi was the one who got a bench spot against Ibiza last Wednesday, mm-hmm. but Chumi has not really been in form, and he, he's fighting in, this, in Barcelona B for a starting spot. So it's not like Chumi's form has been incredible in the third division either. So, I, yeah, I think it's, it's a puzzling thing, and that depth and that roster that I spoke so highly about at the start of this year, remember, I, I mean, it seems like I have egg on my face having said, oh, this is, roster is so deep, and I, it seems like there's, there's stuff at every position to work things out, and now, just because of a continuation, and these are just bigger ideas, a continuation of, of bad business, you know, summer in and winter out, and summer in and winter out, and I, I think it's not even just selling players on and not getting the proper the proper funds for players, but it's every time where, again, I complain about the Todibo deal. There's just these puzzling matters, and it seems like Barca is losing these negotiations, and that's what's so confusing. And that's the other point where there is a, almost a nihilism and a cynicism, as we're going to move on from this question from Chris about uh, Christopher, rather about what Barca can do in the transfer window, particularly about the scoring option. I mean, we all know, and I, talk, I had a whole YouTube video about it last week, and people, I, I seem like they weren't really too receptive because there seems to be dwindling options as far as a lack of another scoring option if Barca were to bring somebody in. So Christopher asked, acknowledging the financial reality, does it make sense to spend 60 to 80 million euros now on a striker like Rodrigo, which seems high, which it is, knowing this might hamper our ability to get somebody potentially better like Latoura Martinez in the summer? Or does it make sense to add a less long-term option, but more affordable option? And Christopher does mention someone like Stuani playing for Girona in the second division, who's also been banging in goals at an incredible rate. And the only reason Girona is even top half of the second division at the moment is that Stuani is there banging in goals. He wouldn't lay out the headlines, but he addressed the issue without breaking the budget. Long-term, still to go after a striker really worth $80 million or so this summer. I mean, or, as Christopher also mentioned, that I'll get to that. Would another veteran strike out a proven track record, not like a Kevin Prince Boateng, that can provide a different, more direct option over the next six months? And there really isn't a long list of that. Especially, again, those older veteran players, they require a lot on wages per week. And that just makes these deals much, much more difficult. Yeah, um, I think that, as I said before, I think it would make sense to go for someone who will be more expensive and a longer-term solution. I know, uh, well, the Catalan media reports, that Lautaro, Lautaro Martinez has been the, the option that they've been looking for, but um, there just basically isn't any way because Inter Milan are not even given a starting price to start negotiations because, you know, they're halfway through the season. Why, why would they? I mean, they are challenging for the Serie A Scudetto title, and for them it makes perfect sense to keep him. Um, my understanding is, or it has been reporting that, um, there's a 111 million euros clause in Lautaro's contract in the summer, but it's only throughout a space of two weeks. I'm not sure why, but um, that, this is what the Catalan media are reporting. Maybe it is between contracts. I'm not sure. But um, I think that's the window that Basta should be pushing for. As to what to do now, I mean, it looks like Rodrigo is the most likely option. Um, I wouldn't think that he would be starter. I think he would be benched behind Griezmann, even, with, even though we know that Griezmann is not an all-and-out all striker. But I think that even with Rodrigo in the squad, if he was to join us, he would still be the best option. 
60 million euros to me sounds sounds excessive for someone who, you know, could be what Paco Alcácer was, you know, or someone who could be coming off the bench once everyone is healthy and, you know, hopefully we sign uh, a better long-term striker in the future. I, I don't think it makes much sense. Um, for Barca to start banging in goals, there's two things that could happen. One is Luis Suarez miraculously, miraculously gets recovered by some magic wand. So obviously that's impossible, so that could not happen. The other one is that Setien's system is assimilated by the players quicker than, to be honest, I'm anticipating that they would. And then they start playing more vertical football because going back to the last match, the first half was just dead boring. And, and, and you know, I actually have watched this week, I've had some time, and I watched um, uh, an hour and a half long interview with Cruyff. It was the last one that he did in, uh, in Germany. It was organized by Aspire. Which is one of the um, one of the entities here in Qatar, sporting entities, and um, which probably just a um, co coincidence, but it was. Then also, I watched one of the games from the Berlin team, which was the Dynamo Kiev. I think it was semi-finals in the European Cup in the Champions League. And to be honest, Cruyff didn't really play that vertical, but um, horizontally, it was more vertical. And you had players like Kuman, for example, that used to do switches. So th there was basically basculating towards one side so that they could um, unbalance the opponent's defense and then quickly went back to Kuman and then Kuman booted it the other way and Stoichkov normally was incredibly wide open. And that is something that this Barca hasn't done yet. Um, clearly, there were spaces to be exploited that the players decided not to and they were passing the ball back and basically having no effect moving forward. Second half of the last match was better. Um, I think they clearly said something was said by Setien and, and his coach, uh, coaching staff at halftime. And, and they started sort of looking a bit more risky, uh, trying on one-on-ones and, and basically moving the ball a little bit faster with more purpose. But, you know, I think it's going to take time. I think it's a lot of concepts to be... And to be honest, it's very different from what we're coming from, from Valverde because he's drifted so far away from the original idea of what Barca is that it's going to take a bit of time for players to get adapted back to that. But the thing is, being optimistic here and optimistic and I think realistic, to be honest, we've got a very good, um, say, top 14, top 15 players that we shouldn't really be too envious of any other squad in European football. Um, and if the players start believing for sure, um, sort of eyes closed blindly, what the coach is saying and they can start creaking and they can start understanding and, and executing, then I think we've got a chance of going further. But it's all on that. It's all about mentality. It's all about taking risks. And it's all about believing in each other without actually having the time to build the bases because um, the Valverde replacement did not happen in the summer as it should have. Yeah, I think you, you made a good point about even if a guy like Rodrigo were to come now, I, we, we talked about Fati to start this, but that would mean that Antoine Griezmann would have to be moved over to that right midfielder spot. But even Rodrigo this season, he's playing basically as Griezmann, where he has two goals, and Griezmann has much more than that this season already, but he has two goals and eight assists as Rodrigo so far this year. Uh, and it's, so it's not like he's been that, that goal-scoring threat, that guy that's on full confidence in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. So right, that would be the only option, would it be to put Griezmann at, a, again, an unnatural position for him out in, in that 3-5-2 on, on the wing. And then, and he's not a guy that's going to go and dribble and use that with either. He wants to cut inside and combine and be a part of that. That's where you get the best out of him. So 
I think, again, it's going to be the partnership between Messi and Griezmann that continues to push that forward. And it is weird, as I had mentioned just a few days ago in my search for a number nine YouTube video, there isn't an option really that makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, even since that video, it, it is crazy to see. And this is what happens whenever you put a piece of content out in the world and, and on the internet. Right after that, Chimi Avila for Osasuna went down for the season. He was my pick, 25 million release clause. I thought it was possible. It would have been a gutting, a gutting charge to Osasuna to take their best player and the guy that's galvanizing them to, uh, to survival in La Liga. But I, I thought that he would have been a good option. He goes down for the season. And then even at the end of the video, I quickly mentioned if Alvaro Ruiz is going to be leaving like expected, that the next guy up after that even, who would be Barca B if he was hitting in the spring season, could possibly get a bench a spot or be a depth option at the center forward position. That was Alejandro Marquez, who I mentioned at the end of the video, yet he was sold to Juventus just mm-hmm. now for close to eight and a half million euros, which is a good piece of business for Juvenil A player slash Barca B player, uh, almost nine million euros, sure. But it's, it's, he's sold, and coming back in the deal on loan is an attacking midfielder, Mateus Pereira, who I, it looks like he's probably going to be obviously expected to take Ricky Puj's spot with the B team, but he just got back from a failed loan at Dijon in Ligue 1, and he's also only on loan. So even if, he, even if this player does well, this player who just failed a loan in the first division in France, even if he does well with Barca B, he's still not oh, an, option, an option to buy. And then piggybacking off, and I know it sounds pretty you know, negative and get off my lawn, but piggybacking off my La Masia tirade from last week, after Alvaro Ruiz, again, who is still at the club, but could still be heading out soon, probably on a permanent deal, though, because of how long negotiations are taking, the next man up now is Ray Minaj, who was just bought from the B team from Albacete for less than a million euros, which I guess is a good piece of business, sure, but he was bought for so, less, for so little money because he's a 22-year-old who scored three goals in the section division so far this year, and he was bought for Barca B not for the A team. He shouldn't, he, he's not a guy that's going to be backing up Messi and Griezmann. And then you jump to a guy that was almost failing out of the second division and, and signing for Barca to join Barca, sure, but in the third division. Then the next guys up after that, they're 17-year-old kids. Juvenal A player, Gerard Fernandez, who was a leading goal scorer in La Masia season. And it's actually been nice to see him do well as he returned from Cornea after being cast off for a few years. And Jean Jardy, who is kind of a left winger, but also kind of a forward, but also still a Juvenil A player at 17 years old. And neither of these guys are close to the projects that Fatih are. I know they're no. all the same age, but Fatih's a first-teamer, and these are Juvenil A players that I hope take some time, get into Barca B over the next few seasons. So long story short, they're years away. Uh, and a goal-scoring help at this point has to come from out of the cl- outside of the club. There's no other uh, option to come within the club. You, I, I think, again, the calls for La Masia, uh, it's done with that. So as far as a number nine, it's got to be a, a cheap veteran player. But, I mean, this is Barca, and we've seen the way that the board has negotiated recently. No team is going to be silly enough to say, oh, yeah, Barca, we'll give you a 2 million euro loan for a player that can help you and, give, and bang in goals. Uh, even for a guy like Stuani, Girona, who, again, is they've got a better stake in Man City's success than they do Barcelona. So I would expect City to try to swoop in for Stuani. Why would Girona then be doing business with Barcelona? I know they're neighbors, but they have no financial incentives when you have City to give you five times that in some kind of backhanded handshake. So it is, it is, it is tough business, and it's a tough going. So as far as by the time next week's show comes around, we're going to know the answer to it. I don't know. Kevin Prince Boateng was a Shaq signing, Frances, but I mean, my, well, this is where we'll end this, where I don't think somebody's coming. Is it a, it's a yes or no for you, right? I, I think the answer, yeah, somebody would be great to be added to the bench to come off and, and maybe add a goal in the last 20 or 30 minutes or so, but Artur Vidal's that answer, right? There is no, there, there is no white knight coming. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, as much as I want to hear La Masia names going forward and hopefully, as you said, progressing through through the right channels, which obviously should be Barca B, and then if you cannot get sort of playing time at first team level, sort of be loaned off somewhere and then and then brought back, sort of thing. Um, the answer has to be Arturo Vidal because I don't see how the board are going to spend 50, 60 million now and then another 120 or however many in the summer to bring someone for as a long-term solution. I think it's going to go from within. I think Griezmann's going to be the striker. Failing that, I see Arturo Vidal doing the job, to be honest, and maybe Ansu Fati, maybe Dembele even put in the middle. But bringing someone from the outside, I just don't see this board doing it, to be fair. Yeah, so speaking of business, uh, Vishrut asks, what's your opinion on Felipe Coutinho coming back next season? Can Setien use him creatively? And the reports of this come because not only does Bayern Munich not want to uh, fully purchase him, which $120 million was quite a hefty price tag for a player that he's been better in Germany than he has for Barca, obviously. I mean, it was difficult for him to be worse at Barca for being a world-class player that he was. And apparently Setien does want to and thinks that he can use him creatively and it does look like Barca, and this is no knock on the midfield trio of Arthur, Busquets, and, and De Jong, because I think we are in the early stages. When it comes to Setien's system, the most important players are those that midfield trio. And we know that Arthur can put in an occasional goal, uh, but it just looks like those three together don't really have a force going forward. And no one from that midfield is, is seemingly at the moment, again, with Arthur at you know, still looks to be about 60 to 70% healthy. Uh, none of them are really options from outside. And Coutinho's, his shooting and his long-range shooting, it looked to be redundant and he did struggle, but we know that is something in his toolbox. And that would be what Setien wants to use him creatively for, to just open up a few more spaces for his front two in that 3-5-2. Um, because again, Coutinho didn't really fit in Valverde's defensive system with that 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 four three three. So if Setien's system can figure out how to give him defensive support and to not have him be in the same space and uh, be operating alongside Griezmann and Messi as opposed to uh, duplicating their roles and their space and their runs, Coutinho could uh, play a role. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, it was one of those stories, Frances, with Coutinho where I felt like I don't know how we come back from that with a player like that. And it's not just the fan base. It's his time in the camp, no, his relationship with the fans in Catalonia. I, maybe every, I mean, any player who plays well and puts in goals can turn around a, a fan base, and it only takes a few goals. But I don't know. It feels like the Coutinho story of Barca is done, especially with all the debt that they're going to be in, that Coutinho's going to have to be sold. There has to be, there has to be some kind of money brought in, and Coutinho's the name. Uh, even if you have to take such a 40 to $50 million loss on him, it still has to... I don't see how they're going to balance the books without it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but there's also the the other way of looking at it, which is if Coutinho is a Barca player, which he is, and he's going to be returning from Germany, which he looks like he will be, then you've got two options. You've got to either try to get the best out of the player here or just sell him on elsewhere. But obviously, when you're selling something on or someone on in this in this occasion, it's not the price that you paid for it that you're expecting back. It's the price that, he, the price that he's worth. And he's worth the price that someone is prepared to pay. So it depends on the offers you get for him. Work out the amount of um, years he's got left in his contract and then see whether it is worth doing it. I mean, Coutinho, on paper, is a fantastic player. You know, he was exceptional at, at Liverpool. And then in Barca, under the Valverde's guidance, he was terrible. But then again, 
there's a lot of great players that were made worse by Valverde being a coach. If Setien thinks that he can get something better out of him, then I don't see why he shouldn't or wouldn't be able to come back. I mean, Barca fans, obviously in the camp, know he will have to be pretty spectacular to win a hearts back. But to be honest, I would rather have Coutinho in the squad today, based on the question that we just answered before. If, if Coutinho was on the bench, that would be a better option coming through than virtually nobody, right? So I think that if Setien thinks he can do a job with him and he can convince him and turn him around, um, Coutinho has a lot of... Um, strong relationships within the dressing room, namely Messi and, and Suarez. If Neymar was to come back, imagine having Coutinho and Neymar and Messi and Suarez in the same team. Those four, um, you know, they're, they're best buddies, they're BFFs, as they say these days. So I don't see why not. I mean, in terms of whether the fan base would change their minds, that, that's a different story. But I'd rather have quality players in my squad than players that just can see a game because they don't deserve it. Yeah, yeah, and I said it's not obviously it's not our job here on a podcast to make sure the books are balanced and that that Barca aren't spending too much money. But when you mentioned Griezmann, Suarez coming back next season, Messi, and then Coutinho and Neymar, it, it is hard to it, yeah. Of course, it's attacking riches maybe the world has never seen, but it's hard to fathom how all of that is possible. And we do know it's possible to have too many cooks, obviously, in the kitchen, uh, and you can't, you can't start everybody. And obviously, when you, if you started all five of them together, and obviously in that situation, Luis Suarez would be the one we'd hope to be on the bench, but still then there's no number nine of all the people we just mentioned. Hard, you can't start all those attacking players, and then you're not really playing defense. But all that said, um, filling in the squad behind those stars, I, I think is the thing that we're going to continue to talk about. And that's where I get most puzzled this season, where Pancho does ask about the Carlos Perez, where it seems like Kike Setien uh, didn't really trust him. So why would you ship out a player that, even though he wasn't some kind of you know, inc- incredible starter breaking onto the scene, he did seem to have a bright future and he did have Barca DNA. You could see it at times and he is inconsistent and in all those negative things, but he was coming in off the bench. And it seems like the attack has been completely gutted, and it has to do with injuries to Suarez and Dembele more than anything else. And Alex Callado had a brief and, and I thought bright cameo, so we could see some more Callado. But as far as that, yeah, it seems to be puzzling to me that it seems more and more players are just, they're not even shipped out, but there's no replacements coming in. And the players that are being shipped out are the ones that are built for the future. And I think this is an indictment, you know, to answer Pancho's question, almost sidestepping a little bit, though that I think it's an indictment that it shows how rushed this was. And I, I can't reiterate enough that the transfer business this January, shipping out to Debo, shipping out Alenia, and even this Carlos Perez deal where Setien, instead of giving Perez time to figure out where his future would be and that he wouldn't work or that Setien might not trust him, that's all happened in January. And now it seems like it's a quick negotiation. And the fight today, what I saw was that Roma, which is where Perez's destination is, they wanted to, they didn't want to put a buyback option in, uh, not a loan. No, this is, a, this is a, a permanent deal. And then they didn't want to put any buyback thing in just like Gerard Delefeu. And, you know, what happened with Barca was they, they had to rebuy Gerard Delefeu, if you remember. And he didn't work out the second time either, but they had to repurchase him uh, for I th- around $30 million. It, it, was, it was expensive to get Delefeu back in the club. I don't, I don't have the number right in front of me. Uh, but Perez, it, I mean, it could be the same deal. I doubt he's going to break out so much that he needs to come back to the club but again the worrying sign that we're just focused on here is the next six months so I don't understand even if Setien didn't trust him does that mean that he trusts Callado in that same position and then again you continue to deplete and it becomes next man up but it seems like that bench just week in and week out just 
we're missing positions and it gets weaker and weaker and I don't understand why and the reason is that because Setien had to be forced in so quickly that's why players that he could have used were sent out uh and but that that becomes a question in a week's time is anybody coming in I I just don't know who and when is that going to happen for sure but I think what the board is doing is simple math which is eight for a striker from from La Masia 13 from Carlos Perez who is a fourth well not really a fifth option in attack and a fourth center back in Tobido as 25 so that is 46 million euros that you've got for three players that weren't going to have any if well much or any impact this season if you got 46 million in the bank and you put it towards good use in the summer which obviously is the assignatura pendiente which is the next challenge for this board to prove then it makes a little bit more sense to be honest and this is something that Barca in terms of selling youngsters, they've never really been able to do and get any profit. And um, if you think about eight, nine, ten years back, people like Villa leaving us for free and all sorts of weird things, and like Mascherano leaving for free. And if the board are getting more clued up in making business that way, that's better. Obviously, you can also argue those players should have stayed. But I think that I know why they're doing it, and it is to, to get money in the bank so they can be used for a, a larger, sort of bigger star coming hopefully now, but yeah. most definitely in, in the summer. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, though, I, you know, I forgot, Frances, Artur Turan is back at the club. I completely forgot. Yeah, well, that's like having bought a 10 bag, isn't it? You may as well <laughs> put them <laughs> well, both. Yeah, he's never going to be practicing, obviously. He will not be featured. Between Boateng and Turan, they may do half of one. So, yeah, very exciting times. Yeah, they did not expect to see her to run. Of course, that was a joke. But it's even one of those things where, as I said, it's almost the opportunity cost. It seems like it's going to be a waste of time because for him to be sold and business to be done, sure, a lot of it's done the legwork by his agent, but he he's still going to have to be sold. So he it's still a waste of a phone call by somebody at Barcelona. It's still going to have to be on the phone trying to get this guy out of the club so they don't have to pay his wages. So that's still business that has to be done. So, I mean, could you imagine if in the next few days, instead of being on the phone to try to get a loan for a player to help reinforce the team this season, they spent all their time on the phone trying to get rid of Artur uh, Turan's wages. So, uh, again, it's just it's a, it's a, a lot of poor business that happened. Uh, and I don't know. You just say the board is sweeping thing of, of who to blame. But um, certainly issues have compounded. And you're right, Frances, that I think the transfer strategy at the moment is to sell the assets they do have have obviously there's a lot of guys that are being that are protected it won't be sold and the guys that are to be sold whether we thought it would be Vidal who seems completely essential to what they're doing right now and a guy like Rakitic who is very difficult to sell you could tell that to take the right to get the right price on Rakitic you have to sell at the right time to the right club and if that club never gives you a call or you can't figure out which club that is it's it's silly to take a loss on a player like Rakitic who still is such a quality player and you kind of almost have to wait and maybe this is now the, the second transfer window that they've had to wait maybe they did try to get rid of him over the summer and maybe they have tried to make phone calls now and it's just that it just it's not taking for a player that's probably worth 60 million still because i mean Rakitic is still a quality player that could reinforce any midfield uh in in, in europe it seems like so i, I think yeah but if ericsson went for 20 million i think that you'd be lucky to get 30 30 30 35 for Rakitic at this moment in time well that comes become uh, it's funny you mentioned Christian Eriksen I think this is actually where we'll, we'll end this is that Eriksen it seemed like well first off Eriksen is a quality player sure but I think he 
it always seemed like he was wanted by Florentino Perez, and there was a feeling that he was always going to be Real Madrid if he came to one of the big giants in Spain. And, and Barcelona surely should have been inquiring about him, but I feel like that interdeal has been done for quite some time. And he was also, he obviously, over the summer, he could leave on a free transfer. And that was the other big part of why he was so cheap, though. He's basically, it's basically a, obviously, he'll, he'll sign a new contract, of course, but the reason he's so cheap now is because he's he's going to be out of contract over the summer when he'll have to renegotiate a new deal. So that's why he's so cheap. Uh, Rakitic still has years on his contract. So that's why Rakitic is going to be expected to still be more expensive because you're locking in more time and don't have to renegotiate that deal. So that's the one exception I would say there and why Ericsson, I think he's unusually cheap because Ericsson is a player still worth 40 to $50 million. Uh, It was just his, the contract made it so cheap. Okay, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I think, convinced me. <laughs> well, I think talking Artur Turan and, and contract negotiations and all that stuff, I think that's a good where a good place to end this. Uh, I do, again, almost want to apologize to some of our, our, our close listener group questions that we didn't get to today. We did have a bunch that I wasn't able to get to. But again, with the things that we started this show speaking about, again, with Kobe Bryant, and then just the rest of the conversation we have where the transfer window leaves so much up in the air. And by the time you're listening to this, all of this may have changed. Uh, and that's just how the transfer window is, especially as we get closer to the deadline. So uh, without giving too many, uh, too much useless information out there uh, and trying to break down too much of what I, I think, again, the final thought here is that it's just still three matches of the Kike Setien era. However, Barcelona is now, look, now looking up at Real Madrid. And Valverde certainly was uh, having the, the team play a certain way. And it didn't seem to be advantageous for the club to be winning titles under Valverde the way they were playing. And it seemed like it, it was a collision course with the better, quicker, more aggressive and adaptable uh, teams in Europe that were going to be meeting Barca and giving them a tough time under Valverde. But that said, the way Kike Setien does play, you can expect some of these results like this, and it's going to happen. So is this one of the worst ones of the season that Setien has to take on the chin, losing at Mestalla against a top-four team in Spain, a team still live in the Champions League? Or is this simply... Is this simply just one of many negative results that might be coming in a season that is going to be tough to get a trophy in? Uh, so I don't think those are answered yet. And I would say, again, as Frances began his question with Setien about, this new manager has just been brought in. He only has six months till the end of the season to work with, uh, and he has a lot of ideas. This is the kind of guy that you want working with a club all summer. So things uh, might be difficult going forward, but it has only been three matches. So a little bit of calma must be required. The players, if they can buy into his system, I think all is possible. But there are a, a lot of big ifs moving forward. Yeah, and you know, as you mentioned before, if if he was here in the summer, things would be different. But he isn't. We need to deal with what it is today. We, me personally, I know there's millions of culés um, around the world who feel the same way. We couldn't take another second, even if he was winning, winning the wrong way with Valverde, um, ruining the, the 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 very being of our club. And if we have to lose some games before we can win some and play the right way, then, then I'll take that. Um, obviously, at this time of the season, games are more crucial, but it's a necessary evil. You have to get worse to get better. Yep, exactly. I think youth has also been for too long. I mean, I, Ricky Pooj is going to make mistakes, but I'm glad I get to see him make mistakes in the first team. Yeah, of course. And, and it's like every player. Everyone started somewhere. Iniesta started somewhere. So did Messi, so did Xavi, so did everybody, Puyol. You know, Puyol couldn't string a pass together at the beginning. He was a very good defender, but he didn't have anything in attack. And, and, you know, everything and everyone got better. And without trust, without empathy, without um, sort of an end goal, 
change doesn't happen. So let Ricky play, let Ansu play, and let Setien get his scheme right. Um, he may not stick with a 3-5-2 forever. He may go back to a 4-3-3. He may invent something else. But what is for sure is that what he is planning to do is far more exciting than anything Valverde would have ever done. So um, as bad as the first half of the last game was, and as boring as it was, it's never going to be like that again. It's going to be more horizontal. It's going to be risk-taking, and it's going to get better. So even though we may not win every game, at least uh, things will be done the right way. Yep, for sure. I agree. Again, a good place to stop there. So thanks so much for tuning in. This was, again, an interesting show, a different show, but I think one with topics that need to be spoken about. So I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening to this one. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. You can also find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. That's where we got this these questions, also their deeper dives and discussions there. You can also help us out on Patreon where we do the quick take match reviews that those come from me to continue making these shows. That's tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube, as you've heard me mention week in and week out at the Barcelona Podcast. I try to do one special not related to the podcast video each and every week. So check us out there and hit that subscription button. All of those things all combine and help out a lot. So we appreciate you for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon with Forza Barca. Forza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.